God's Word is so awesome. When we take the time to, to get into it and to make this what we're doing, and not we're doing this as we're cooking or, you know, but we're just spending time with Him, oh my gosh, He just makes His Word come alive to us and it just, it just feeds us and grows us. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll jump in, um, spending the most of our time in Daniel chapter 3. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. And we are so appreciative that we can come to this place and just be ourselves. And we can be ourselves in you, in your liberty and in your love and in your grace. And we don't have to worry about anything. We can set cares aside. We can surrender all insecurities to you. We can bring our hurts purposefully to you, knowing that you are a God that that heals. So we come to you with confidence and openness right now to hear from you, to be touched by you, to receive the fullness of the touch that you want for us for this moment. Lord, as an act of my will, I yield to you. I say, Holy Spirit, do your thing. Take over. Do that, that thing you do where you just make the world, the word personalized for each one of us. Lord, the last thing we want is just to hear a, a cool story and then walk away unaffected. We want to be impacted by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we've the last two weeks we've been on Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. So this week we're on Daniel chapter 3. But last week we didn't get to the end of Daniel chapter 2, and we're still not going to get to the full part that we didn't get to. But, but I do want to kind of wrap up with Daniel chapter 2 and move right in to chapter 3. The series that I've been preaching is called Fearless. And when we look through this book, we see Daniel. We see the the three Hebrew boys is what they're referred to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the names that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his team assigned to them. But we see the fearless nature that they have towards man. Now they fear and they honor and they respect and they revere God. But they're fearless when it comes toward men. Friends, that's what we're supposed to be. All too often we are consumed with what uh, people think of us. We're consumed with, are, are we are we impressive? Are we liked? Are we cool? Are we of worth? Now all of those things, I'm not, I'm not dismissing them, but when we look to men to find our validation, to find our worth, to find our security, we're failing and we're doomed to fail because we can't get that from man. But when we look to God, he confirms who we are. He tells us who we are. And the things he has to say about us are awesome. If we will listen when God is talking about who we are, the things he has to say are just amazing. Things like you're valuable, you're precious, you're talented, you're needed. We are to be fearless when it comes to men. So let's turn right now to the, the end of uh, chapter 2, verse 45. And this is Daniel. And just to kind of give you a, to touch on it for a little bit, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It troubled him. He wanted to know the interpretation of the dream. But he knew he had a bunch of yes men surrounding him that if he told them the dream, they would just give 
a favorable interpretation to that dream. And so he said, I ain't going to do that. You tell me what the dream is, and then tell me what the interpretation is, because then I'll really know that you know what the interpretation of that dream was. No one could do it. King got really mad, started having a really dramatic moment. We're talking about tearing people limb from limb. He does that a lot, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, uh, then all of you who are supposed to be there to help me, you know, I'm going to have you all killed. So Daniel said, King, give me, give me some time. You know, my God will give me the dream. God did. God gave Daniel the dream. Daniel told him the dream and interpreted the dream. So this is the end of Daniel ministering that to the king. Verse 45. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain by supernatural means, crushing to dust the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has shown your majesty what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar bowed to the ground before Daniel and the king worshipped him and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. If we can keep right there, back on 46. I want to point something out. We're, we're going to see as we study Daniel a transformation that takes place in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. But I want you to see right now, he, he still doesn't have it. He don't got it yet. God just revealed his wonder and his awe and his might. And who does, who does Nebi? We're going to call him Nebi. We're going to call him Nebi because it's a whole lot shorter. Who's, who's the king praising? Who's he burning incense to? To Daniel. Okay? We just need to point this out because we're going to see a transformation, but we just ain't going to see it yet. Verse 47. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods. The king, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. As we, as we dig in, we're going to cover chapter 3 kind of verse by verse and then we're just going to kind of pause and interject. And um, I don't always preach this way and, and the tough thing about trying to preach an entire chapter is you just run out of time. You know, you just, I'm not going to keep you here for three hours. Um, that's where you guys go, amen. Yeah. Um, but but it's good because see, here's the thing guys. The, the word of God, that, that's the best sermon you could get tonight I'm just going to bring some things to light but it's the word of God that changes lives it's the word of God that that comes alive to us and brings revelation amen amen so we see that because Daniel was able to interpret this dream reveal the dream and then interpret the dream that he was given favor and that he was exalted and that at Daniel's request he said king I'd like these three men to be exalted with me and he said, absolutely, I'll put them over the affairs of the whole province of Babylon. That word, all the affairs, is avida. That sounded more Spanish, didn't it? Huh? 
Apparently there's a Spanish part of Babylon. Um, and uh, it's translated as the work, administration, service, ritual, and worship. So basically, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in charge of the administration that comes forth from Babylon and the services including ritual and worship. Sounds like a pretty cool position to put godly men in, right? Unless you have your own agenda. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. Actually, I'll pause. Sometimes when we're reading the Word, we've got to pause. We've got to read between the lines. We just read the end of chapter 2, right? What did chapter 2 end with King Nebuchadnezzar doing? Worshiping Daniel, acknowledging God, calling him the Lord of Kings, right? We're going to start reading in a second, and we're going to have to stop and read between the lines. Something dramatic, and years have gone by, whether there's obviously been a change, or that the goodness of God was forgotten. As we see that, I want to encourage us, church, man, that's too easy to do. That is too easy to forget the goodness of God and just move on to the next thing. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the princes, prefects, governors, advisors, counselors, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. When all these officials had arrived... We were and were standing before the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. We're going to pause for a second. So we see that he has sent word out all over the land. Anybody who is anybody is invited to the party. Anybody in any governmental position whatsoever has all been invited to the dedication of this statue. This statue, now it's, it's common did a lot of reading, did a lot of studying, did a lot of reading other people's words other than, you know, the Bible, which kind of getting smarter men than I, their take on things. And it was common to have statues erected to honor men. And it was normal to have those statues about six feet high. This statue is 15 times the normal size of statues that are erected. So Nebuchadnezzar has drawn everyone together and he's used two two items to elicit worship from them. One, music. When you hear the sound of all these instruments being played, bow. So he's using music, he's using festivity, he's using a party. But he's also using something else. 
fear. And over behind door number two, we have a fiery furnace. I want you guys to know the furnace wasn't there. The furnace wasn't a part of that normal Babylonian culture. The furnace was built alongside the statue. The furnace was built with purpose to go along with the statue. Because see, along with the music and the festivities to elicit praise, he also uses fear. Guys, the enemy's no different these days. Hey, he can either get us with a big party. It's great. You're missing out. This is awesome. This is what I have to offer. Come check it out. You're missing out if you don't be here or fear. But are you lame? Are you a Bible thumper? What are you, you know, some big dork? Come on, what, you too good? You too good for me? Whatever the fear tactics are, the enemy, he doesn't doesn't change. So there was a statue, 15 feet the size of a normal statue. Um, In reading, there's, there's two prevailing thoughts of why he went above and beyond. I mean, this is really ridiculous. Why he went above and beyond. Number one was because of the favor that he has shown to Daniel and the favor that he had shown to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king was in fear of being mocked. As a matter of fact, some would say, what, have you turned to a Jew? They mocked him. So there he was. He conquered <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> the king had conquered Judah. He had, he had conquered the Jews. And and just to remind us, um, who allowed him to be conquered? Who allowed the, the Judah to be conquered? God did. Okay? So he had conquered them, but because of the favor that he had shown to Daniel, to Shadrach, to Meshach, to Abednego, some had basically said, the king's gone soft. He's gone soft. He favors their God above his own gods. So that's one prevailing thought. The other one is pride. The statue was a statue of himself. And he wanted to show that he was bigger than life, that he was bigger than God. In fact, he was so big that he should be worshipped. Let's go ahead and keep reading. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Who were the Jews? There you go. So we got some tattletales. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't know why Daniel's not listed, but these three, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They have defied your majesty by refusing to serve your gods or to worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. We can just stay right there. 
So let's, let's go ahead and read between the lines a little bit more. So the three Hebrew men are in charge of the affairs of Babylon. Do you think they knew that a statue was a huge, massive, ungodly, huge statue and a people-burning furnace were being built? you think they, they knew about the plans? Do you think it came across their desk? I bring that up to say how many times when we know the difficulty lies ahead of us, do we just freak out? Do we let it consume us? Do we let the fear of that upcoming difficulty weigh heavy on us? Say it's a week. Say it's a week. Say you got a week. You got a week before you got to confront a situation or a difficulty. Say it's a month. We think on it, we dwell on it, we toil over it, we lose sleep, we worry, and we are tormented. Sometimes. These guys knew what was coming up. This wasn't a surprise. When the music started playing, there wasn't a surprise. These guys determined in their heart beforehand, music's going to play governors and rulers and judges and people from all over Babylon, a huge, massive crowd are going to be there. And we're going to be faced with a decision. Do we bow or do we not bow? Like I said, I don't know why Daniel's there. There's a couple of prevailing thoughts. One of the thoughts is that Daniel was so valued that the slimy, snake-like tattletales that ran and told they knew better than to mess with Daniel. Because aside from King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was the man. So they knew better. They feared Daniel. But we, we don't know. But we know that these three, these three warriors had already set in their mind what they would and would not do. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance. Let's pause right here. Let's pause. And, and let's remember our setting. Where, where are we right now? Are we in like in some back room somewhere? Are we like in like the back conference room of Babylon District 4? pretty sure you've got masses of people sitting there waiting and all of their attention gazed on one single spot at these three guys who did not bow so the king calls them forward and let me let me point this out also there will always be people in our lives that run behind our backs and say the things that others want to hear oh king <laughs> so handsome Almighty King, nice shoes. These three guys have a total disregard for you. I find that I find that hilarious. It has nothing to do with the fact that they love the one true God. It's that they just have a blatant, rude disregard for the king. The fact that the king even just recognize the enormity of this moment, the fact that he even gives them 
the courtesy of saying, I will give you a second chance is huge. It is huge. Let's look at where the king is. The king has seen the power of their God. He has experienced it firsthand. He has seen it, but yet he's he still has himself as the center of his life. He's still God in his life. What he wants, that's number one. And he wants to be worshipped and admired and feared. But he still says, I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. If you bow down and worship the statue I have made, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, all will be well. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And what God will be able to rescue you from my power then? This ain't about his gods. This ain't about his gods. This ain't about his statues. Because he didn't say, who will be able to rescue you from... Insert pagan God's name here. He said, who will be able to rescue you from my power? We are not to play with temptation. We're not to put ourselves in the comfort of entertaining temptation or of reasoning with temptation. It's funny, I, multiple times I, I just kind of cracked myself up as I was preparing this message. I'm like, we don't negotiate with terrorists! <laughs> when I see this, that's what, you know, when faced with temptation, we don't entertain offers. We say, get behind me, Satan. Before we get to their response, let's go ahead and just think about this. Let's think about the whispers. Let's think about the enemy's whispers or other people's whispers. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a great example you are. You call yourself a child of the Almighty God, but yet you dishonor this good man? This noble man? He could have annihilated your people, but instead, he pulled you from the rubble. And he educated you, and he fed you at his table. And he he treated you like he was own. He sent you through his own training course. And look at where you're at. Look, you're, you manage the affairs of Babylon. How rude. How rude. Shame on you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're an embarrassment to the God. You, surely your God wouldn't be so rude as you. Too many times we, we, we put a persona on our God and we think that he's a polite guy. And that therefore, we got to be polite and not be offensive because surely our God would not be offensive. And that's garbage. God is offensive. He is. The blood of Jesus is offensive. To say that there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ is offensive. There's so many ways 
a, a weaker individual and I have my hand on myself, what might have been talked out of doing the right thing? Well, Mark, you, you understand how great your God is. Just bow. Look at all these people. You don't want to embarrass the king like that. Mark, where can you be used more? What, what good can be done with you dead or with you in this position of authority here in Babylon? Surely, and you're young. You're young. They call you the three Hebrew children. You're a young man. You got a long life ahead of you. God wants you here. God wants you alive. God wants you to, to make an impact in Babylon. And so bow. Because you know why? Because you're God's gracious. He'll forgive you. Just repent. Just say your... I mean, you see where I'm going with this? And the, the bad thing is you guys are going, yeah, preach it. That's good. That's right. He'll forgive us. No, you're not really doing that. But I mean, these are some of the things that we are faced with when it comes to temptation to sell them out. What is the response that comes forth? I read a quote that's just awesome. It says, The cause of God needs not the wrath of man. The cause of God needs not the wrath of man. What does that mean? That means I can just stand on his truth. I don't have to make a big uproarious scene about it. And that's what these men did. What did they do? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Let's remember, these guys probably believed that they weren't going to be defeated by Babylon when they were a part of Judah. They knew that God could bring the victory and that Judah could defeat Babylon. But God chose not to. God chose to deliver Judah into the hands of Babylon. And in this situation, they know that God can deliver them from the hand of the king and from the flames of the furnace. But yet they still say, I know he can, but even if he doesn't, let us be perfectly clear, we have no regrets. We will not bow. We will not kneel. We will not worship the statues. What did these three men do? They didn't grandstand. They still showed... Are we out? No, we're good. They still showed respect to the king, but showed even more respect to God. They are not defying the king as much as they are defying the fear of death. They respect their God more. And they're defying the fear of death. Talk about fearless. Fearless. 
We can be confident. I've talked about confidence a lot in this series. We can be confident in who we are in Christ Jesus. We love the movie monologue. We love the big moments when our hero gets to be bold and courageous and heroic, you know, like a Mel Gibson, Braveheart type thing. And we love the monologue. We like the slap in the face. We like the jab. Let me get one jab in. We like the name calling for a certain extent. And these guys could have done that. They could have been like, you evil, idolatrous king. You tyrant. We shall never bow. We shall never yield to your blatant misuse of government funds. This is just excessive. And that's probably what I would have done. I'd have a jab. But when our hearts are set on God, I don't... When our hearts are so set on Him and trusting Him, we don't we don't need the jabs. We don't need the justifications. We don't need to be right. We don't need the adoration of men. We don't need... Uh, the validation. We don't need the title. We don't need the honor. We don't need the authority. We don't need the money. When our hearts are set on God, we just need Him. So what's their response? Their response is, we don't need any music. We're not going to bow. Uh, I appreciate the offer. No need for the music. It's not going to happen. It's a, uh, it's an unbelievable offer. I appreciate your graciousness. But let's just save the pomp and the circumstances because I'm not bowing. We're not bowing. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. By the way, the heating of the furnace seven times more, that wouldn't have made for a more painful death. But what it did make for was a more glorious testimony. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully clothed. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames leaped out and killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell down into the roaring flames. But suddenly, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed, this is hilarious, by the way, this is hilarious, exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men? At, at that point, I'm like, oh no, king, we didn't do nothing. Okay, we 
that's on you, big guy. But, you know, the kings all of a sudden, guys, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, they replied, you did, uh, we did indeed, your majesty. Still butt kissing, good lord. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire they aren't even hurt by the flames and the fourth looks to be a divine being the Nebuchadnezzar came as close to the door of the flaming furnace as he could and shouted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego servants of the most high God come out come here Now give it up, at least the king didn't send men to do that. At least he, at this point, was the one that was fearful. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, how many people are in, how many people are gathered around? Like about, like a dozen or two? Or like 23? Thousands. God loves the opportunity to show his glory and his power in front of thousands. Then the princes, prefects, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. You know what? I got a fire pit in my backyard and I ain't wearing this nice, wonderful hoodie to, you know, to that fire pit. Why? Because I don't want it to smell like camp. They didn't even smell of smoke. I love it when God shows off like that. Not a hair on their head was singed. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I will make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, and once again, he's making it to basically the entire country. They're all there. Whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Once again, his dramatic moment. And their houses will be crushed into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach. Well, of course he did. He's a totally self-centered, prideful egomaniac, but he's not stupid. Promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Now, this is, this is cool when, when we study. Let's read the first three verses of the next chapter. Um, in Aramaic, the first three verses of chapter 4 are actually the last three verses of chapter 3. Uh, sometimes, you know, when we kind of put the comma in different places. This is how, I, I believe, originally this chapter was supposed to end. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace 
and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How powerful His wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all all generations. When we're reading this, we need to pay note to certain things. At the very end, he talks about don't badmouth the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't Godmouth their don't, don't badmouth their God. These first three verses here. Once again, between chapters, something's happened. Because he's now proclaiming our God not to be just a God or the God of of the Hebrew men, but to be the Most High, the one true. Question. Who wrote Daniel chapter 4? Who wrote Daniel chapter 4? Anyone know? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this book, Daniel chapter 4. I know some of you guys real well. And there's some stubborn suckers out there. And you know who you are. And I was a stubborn sucker. And there's, there's times it takes a while for us to come around. And I believe it took a while for Nebuchadnezzar. He was just a little bit more thick-headed. He just had a little bit more pride to overcome. The transformation from egomaniacal king to a guy who acknowledges our God is the one true God and writes a book that's placed in our Bible is amazing. The transformation that he wants to do in your life and my life as we yield to him and acknowledge him as the center of our life and the one true God is going to be amazing. For each one of us, he has an incredible purpose. Incredible. And you know what? Nebuchadnezzar was thick-headed, but not any more so than than Amy. <laughs> that's right that's right Amy is my sister and what I meant to say was James you guys you guys get it what does God want from us trust trust he wants us to flee from the face of temptation and say get behind me Satan I'm not going to entertain your offers my God's able to deliver me out of this, and even if He doesn't, I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to surrender because I know the truth. Hmm. Man, I'm loving this chapter. I'm loving this book. I'm loving the stuff that's just encouraging me and firing me up. We are called to do something to say something, to be something. And for the words and the actions and the love to not be our own. But to be that that comes from Jesus Christ, to be that that comes 
from him. Whatever place we're at tonight, whatever whatever trust needs to be extended to the Lord, whatever yielding needs to be done to his way and to his plan, and whatever declaration that we need to say to ourselves, because before we can be bold and do it in front of thousands, we've got to be honest with ourselves and say, trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Trust the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Remember the works of the Lord, O oh my mind. And who are the people that God has placed in our paths that we are supposed to take that stand for so that they can see Christ through us? Who's the the King Nebuchadnezzar in our life? And don't automatically think it's your boss. It could be your boss. But don't automatically go there. Who's that person in our life that we just need to say, "Uh, I'm sorry? What, would you some kind of Bible thumper? Yep. Yep, the part that talks about his love. And the part that talks about his grace, the part that reminds me that I was lost and now I'm found. Yeah, I, I, man, what can I thump? What can I thump with it? Will you some holy roller? Yeah, yeah, but I just don't, I think you're saying it is a bad thing, so I'm confused because it's, it's a good thing, but yeah. The game's out there. We were reminded of that a few weeks ago. We need to be living for Him and being bold for Him and being a light and not covering it up and not being ashamed and not being fearful. We are called to be fearless. If any one of you needs, and I'm serious, I'm serious. A lot of times I, I kind of say things facetiously. If any of you needs validation, you need uplifting and encouragement? Come up here. I'll tell you a dozen incredible things about you. If I don't know you, I'll sit and let you tell me about yourself. And then I'll just point out the real obvious things. I'm serious. And it won't be from me. It'll be from the heart of God. But we don't need to go out there searching for approval and validation. We're called to be fearless, but we're still called to be loving.